Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Hello. Hiya. How are you today? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm super excited to talk about this movie. I am, too. This is one that uh, we actually watched, I think, like last year. Yeah, we found it on a whim. Yeah, I was about to say, it was a random find and uh, totally kind of like, forgot about it just because it was one of those things that we watched we enjoyed and then it kind of fell off our radar but then when this series came up we immediately thought of this movie and knew it would fit perfectly so yeah i'm excited to actually kind of critique it and get into it well i say we do just that all right but first just to recap a few months ago danny and i inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone the only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find us because yeah the theater moves around it's never in the same place twice and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And this month, in honor of travel and family and the start of the holidays, we are in the final week of a series we like to call Highway to Hell, where we check out horror flicks all about horrible road trips. And this one, we're wrapping it up on a good one. It is the independent sleeper hit, Dead End. This this series has been so fun. Uh, I've This is like, I guess one of those niches that I never really realized that I was really into until like watching a bunch back to back and I've been really hyped. Uh, and I'm, I'm super excited that we got to end on, on this one just because there's a little bit different twist to it versus the other movies we've been doing thus far Mm -hmm. but it doesn't make it any less creepy at all and like it just it's equally just as anxiety inducing if you ask me (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and this one has some top-notch performances to boot i mean i just i i really really enjoyed this movie yeah i do too it i think that's what another thing that surprised me about you know, the fact that you said that it was kind of a sleeper hit. I mean, I was aware of that too. Um, I think that's how we ended up discovering it. It was kind of like one of those things we saw in a subgenre, like, you know, uh, cult favorites or something like lesser known title. I don't know, one of those things. And that's how we ended up stumbling upon it. But yeah, once we watched it and we saw the performances and even the cast list alone, it was like, I was surprised that it was not more well known. Yeah, same. And it wasn't until I started doing the research on this one that I learned it was never even in the theaters. It it went straight to DVD, which is probably why a lot of people haven't heard of it. And man, if you haven't, we are excited to introduce you to it. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, please, by all means, go check it out before we break it down. 
And of course, if you guys do want to check this movie out, it is available right now to stream free on Tubi. And if you are a subscriber to Prime, it's available on Prime Video. Otherwise, it's available to rent on YouTube, Vudu, and Apple TV. We always encourage you guys to check it out beforehand. This one is a really fun watch. Like I said, it's different than the ones we've been doing thus far. There's a twist to it. Uh, and I think it really lends a hand in making this movie so much fun. But again, if it's not your vibe, I know plenty of our listeners are just not that into watching the film and just hearing us talk about it. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to talk about it and spoil everything. So here we are, spoiling everything. <laughs> spoiling everything. So I guess we should just get to it then. Yeah, I'm excited. All right. Well, here's the wiki. So long before Hereditary gave us a horror drama about one family's grief whose secrets bring them to the brink of ruin, there was an independent French film that did it first – just with a lot less cults and naked old people. <laughs> uh, so Dead End is a 2003 French horror film written and directed by Jean-Baptiste André and Fabrice Canepa. But beyond the origins of the script, there isn't too much of France to be found here, as this film was entirely shot in the U.S. in English with American actors, including Ray Weiss, Lynn Shay, Alexandra Holden, and Mick Kane. Dead End was released in 2003, hitting the film festival circuit, where it earned several awards, but then was released straight to DVD, where it became a sleeper hit and blew up, earning $77 million in home video sales. That's bananas. That's against a $900,000 budget. Yeah, that's crazy. That's almost unheard of. Yeah. I, I Now, this is one of those that's listed as a fact on IMDb. And as we all know, much like Wikipedia, sometimes that information can be a little sus. And I always try and see if I can find another source that backs that up. And I couldn't. I couldn't find anywhere else that talked about how much this film earned but I, it's listed i i'm sharing it with you that's about as much as i can do i, I cannot <laughs> confirm it beyond that but if it's true that is super impressive yeah yeah no kidding especially like you said since it just went straight to video well on rotten tomatoes the film has an approval rating of 75 percent with an average rating of 6.14 out of 10 John Noonan of HorrorNews.net gave the film a positive review, writing, quote, A potent mix of nasty and fun, Dead End is the perfect film to put on at family gatherings to get them all out of your house, end quote. <laughs> and Johnny Butane from Dread Central gave the film a score of 3.5 out of 5, praising the film's performances, plot, and blend of thrills and humor while noting the film's weak ending, end quote. And I can see kind of where he's coming from. They, they, they tend to wrap things up very neatly mm -hmm. in, a, in a little bow. Uh, but I didn't hate it. Yeah. I, I still enjoyed the ride, yeah. pun intended. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I agree. It's one of those that feels like uh, the ride, is you're fully into it. The ride's long. and it, But it's not, you know, gratuitous or anything like that. Like you're, you're having fun. And the ending feels a little quick and a little, like you said, wrapped up. Uh, nicely and sometimes people can kind of be like okay well that's not really how that would happen but if it's one of those you know you're just sitting down and you enjoy it for what it is you're not expecting a sequel or anything from it I totally think it's one again like you can just like throw on 
And it does take place on Christmas Eve, so can we call it a holiday film? I'm going to say yes. Absolutely. I I think this was the perfect one to end up our uh, Thanksgiving month. You know, Mm -hmm. here in the States, this is our Thanksgiving month. And go take us right into Christmas. And it's, it's all about over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. Uh, but something goes wrong along the way. Yeah. Yep. Pretty pretty much bad wrong. <laughs> Very bad wrong. Yeah, of course, before we jump into all that, <laughs> all that goes wrong, I will share with you the synopsis real quick. It says, when a family en route to a Christmas Eve gathering decides to take a shortcut down a wooded road, an eerie sequence of events signals trouble ahead. After nearly colliding with an oncoming car, Father Frank picks up a ghostly hitchhiker and her infant child. With the sudden appearance of their new passengers, the route becomes dark and treacherous, and the family's numbers rapidly begin to dwindle in a series of seemingly connected grisly roadside accidents. Spooky. So eerie. Uh, And it is. There are some very eerie moments. Yeah, and this is one of those two that, I mean, if, you know, for whatever reason you can't find that these things are creepy and i understand this may not be some people's niche to me the environment alone and just the fact that they can't uh get to where they're going is creepy enough for me like that's just kind of nightmarish (laughs) yeah i mean kind of the underlying you know ha 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 humor part of it is the true horror is being trapped with your family in this car mm-hmm. on this never-ending road. Yeah. And and by the way, this is a, uh, I guess it would be classified as a dark comedy. Yeah. Uh, there are humorous moments, mm-hmm. and it is meant to be so. Uh, but yeah, it is uh, one family's terrifying road trip, and things go wrong very quickly. Yeah, I'm so excited to get into all of it. This movie's just, it gets bananas in some parts. <laughs> It really does. Well, nothing left to do but to get to it. So our movie opens on the typical white family traveling via the family SUV to grandmother's house for Christmas Eve. Mother is complaining that they're running late, and Dad says it's the same thing every year. Where are my blue shoes, dear? Or, Dad, I can't find my Marilyn Bronson CD. The son replies, it's Marilyn Manson, whatever her name is. She's a guy, Dad. Marilyn? A guy? What's the world coming to? We then transition immediately into our title card and the opening credits over an angry, punk-sounding song called Bloody Road. So it, it, it just kind of very immediately, you know, you get your eye roll of this, you know, the dad not being able to relate to his son yeah. through his music. And, and you it very quickly sets the scene. Oh, yeah, for sure. That typical... Uh, like you said earlier, the family traveling on the holidays, there's always that tension during the holidays. And you're seeing like, you know, mom and dad kind of bicker a little bit. The son just wants to like be to himself, listening to the music and be broody. And, you know, you've got sister over here and at one point that we'll be introduced to. And yeah, it, it perfectly sets the scene for this family that you can tell already this is not not going to be a smooth ride, just no matter where they're going. <laughs> exactly. Well, after the credits, we're back in the car with the Harrington family as the song transitions to being played on the son's headphones. Dad, Frank, continues driving as the rest of the family catches some shut-eye, meaning this is the perfect time for some quick introductions. 
So as mentioned, we have Father Frank Harrington, played by actor Ray Wise, who has 28 feature film creepy credits to his name. I'm, of course, not doing all of them, but some of the highlights include Swamp Thing, Jeepers Creepers 2, Electric Boogaloo, Cat People, which coincidentally was just brought up recently in the Dead Zone discussion room. He was also in Chillerama and Night of the Living Deb. He also played Laura Palmer's father, Leland, in the mystery thriller series Twin Peaks, a role he reprised in the film Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Which leads us to another one of those everything is connected moments. So in the opening scene where Frank mentions Marilyn Manson, Manson has a song titled Wrapped in Plastic, which was inspired by a line in the television show Twin Peaks. And as I just mentioned, Ray Wise also plays the father of Laura Palmer, whose body was found wrapped in plastic in the opening moments of the show. Wow. Wow. I love those cool little connections. I won't stop being shocked by them. (laughs) Then I'll never stop giving them to you. (laughs) So the matriarch of the family is Laura Harrington, and she is played by the amazing Lynn Shea. Uh, Just another horror icon. Most fans will probably recognize her as psychic Elise Rainier from the Insidious series, but she does have a total of 47 feature film creepy credits on her resume, which beats out her co-star, Ray Wise, but still comes nowhere close to Felissa Rose. Uh, She has over 100. She's still our reigning champion in the creepy <laughs> credits. Uh, I'm, of course, not doing all 47 of Lynn's, but here are her highlights outside of Insidious, including A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Grudge, Critters, Ouija, Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror, which also starred Sidney Tamia Portier, who we talked about this month in our Death Proof episode. Mm-hmm. Plus, she was in Chillerama, which also starred her co-star, Ray Wise. She also starred in a movie called Helen Keller vs. Night Wolves. And I want to start a list of horror movies I want to see just because the title is so ridiculous. Yeah, that's got to go on there. That sounds bananas. (laughs) I don't have the slightest idea of what that is about, (laughs) but I do not care. (laughs) And it's going on the list. (laughs) Well, fun fact about Lynn, in 2015, she was officially named the Godmother of Horror by Wizard World Comic Con. I have no idea what that entails. Perhaps it's just a plaque and a gift card to Subway, but it's nice to be recognized. Yeah, I I would take it. I mean, she's well-deserved. Oh, for sure. So next up, our young teenage son, Richard, is played by actor Mick Kane, and this is his only starring role in a horror film, but he does have one other creepy credit on his resume from when he acted as Justin Long's stand-in in Drag Me to Hell. Oh, that's random. Yeah, so anytime you saw the back of Justin Long's head, it was probably this dude. Okay. There you go. That's cool. (laughs) Again, another connection. It's just... Totally random. Well, the Harrington's eldest daughter, Marion, is played by actress Alexandra Holden. She has a few other creepy credits to her name, including Wishcraft, A Dead Calling, Dark Reel, Lovely Molly, and Always Watching a Marble Hornet Story. All right. I don't know what Marble Hornets are. I'm sure someone does and will tell me. 
But it seems the way they said it, it's like I should know what that means. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. A marble hornet store. Oh, no, you don't say. Well, then I'll, I'll watch it for sure. <laughs> it means something to someone. <laughs> Somebody out there is like, no, no, no. Somebody did not put this on the screen. This is my nightmare. Oh, I ruined the day someone told the story of the marble hornets. <laughs> Well, we have one final passenger in the car, and that is Marion's boyfriend, Brad. He's played by actor William Rosenfeld, who used to work under the name Billy Asher. Don't know why he changed it. Uh, but Bill has a couple of other creepy credits as producer on the film Mind Games and the classic Zombievers. Oh. <laughs> I've never seen that movie before. I haven't seen it either, but um, I, I think it deserves to be on that list. Oh, yeah, I agree. Ridiculous name. Uh, well, back in the car, like I said, Frank is driving along as everyone else has fallen asleep. Soon he, too, falls victim to the hypnotic rhythm of the road and falls asleep at the wheel, nearly crashing into another car. Marion screams, Dad, waking him up just in time to avoid impact, swerving out of the way and coming to a screeching halt on the side of the road. Of course, everyone is now awake, and Richard says, are we there yet? <laughs> Which is our first sign that this is supposed to be a humorous movie. Uh, Frank checks that everyone is okay, which they are. Laura is pissed. She's like, you almost killed us. Well, I hope you slept well. Maybe I should whip you up some breakfast. <laughs> she also checks to make sure her pie didn't get damaged. It appears to have survived the near crash, but it doesn't sound like it was too edible to begin with. She says it's pumpkin and chocolate, which those two things are great separately. I don't I don't know how I feel about them together. Yeah, I feel weird about them together. It's also a weird thing to be taking on Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's that's more. It's not really a Christmas type. Yeah. And then it comes into play later and it gets worse. So It does get worse. Visually, it's not a pleasant looking pie. Yeah, I was going to say, visually this pie is unappealing. It could be a blueberry pie, but if I look at it and it looks the way it does, I could be like, <laughs> nope, I'm fine. I will pass. I brought I my own dessert. Thank so you. so full. I had some Tic Tacs earlier. <laughs> I could not make any room. Uh, also, apparently it doesn't smell good because Richard says it smells like ass. Yeah, so yeah. all around, it is not an appealing pie. Well, Frank gets out of the car to check that everything's okay. Seeing that they're on a desolate road in the middle of the woods, Laura asks Frank where they are and wonders why they're not on the interstate. Because they always take the interstate. Frank explains that he was bored, so he decided to take a shortcut because he didn't want to fall asleep. And Laura says, well, that worked out well. <laughs> Frank gets back in the car and Marion offers to take over driving. Frank declines and jokes about Marion recently wrecking the family Mercedes. Marion insists it wasn't her fault and Frank just says he's just teasing in that way that parents always claim their passive aggressiveness is just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Already we're seeing the horrors of this family trip. Well, next we get some exposition for our family travels and learn that Richard is your typical angsty teen who says inappropriate things and hates Marion's boyfriend. Marion gets queasy on long car rides and Frank can't stand the noises Laura makes when she's eating and drinking. Basically, everyone is getting on everyone else's nerves. Marion tries to get everyone to calm down while her dickhead boyfriend Brad has to mansplain to us how to relax by breathing. <laughs> 
We then get an overhead shot of the car headed down the road, and it looks like the only thing around for miles and miles is nothing but trees on either side of the road. It is it is desolate yeah. and uh, eerie. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. Every time we get this wide shot of them traveling down this road, it's like so isolating and it feels so like haunting because yeah there's like nowhere to escape nobody around and you just see like how small their car feels in comparison to this vast forest of trees yeah it was that same kind of feeling you got in wolf creek when you realized holy shit they're going out so far Mm -hmm. they will run out of gas yeah and they have to pack extra gas yeah And you just realize there's nothing and no one out here to save you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's terrifying. Yeah. Come to find out, I don't like that feeling a lot. (laughs) Turns out that's a pretty big fear of mine. Turns out this month has been horrible for you, (laughs) watching all of these movies. Well, next, Laura suggests they sing to pass the time and throws out Yellow Submarine as the first choice. But Marion says they always do that one, so they settle for Jingle Bells, which works better for the filmmakers since that's the one that's royalty free. <laughs> well, this sing along actually lightens things up a bit, and everyone seems to relax and even seems to be enjoying themselves. We see the car pass a cabin, the first building they've seen since they've been on this road. And then a little further along, Frank spots what he thinks is a woman in white standing just on the side of the road, and he slams on the brakes. Nope. Mistake number one. <laughs> we don't stop. We just keep going. What are you doing, yep. Dad? The best you can do is just look at your partner and say, did you see that? And they say, yep. And then you both just keep going. You go weird and carry on. Yep. <laughs> because Danny and I have been in a similar situation, yep. and that's what we did. <laughs> You're like, saw that? Yep, me too. Okay, keep going. <laughs> Let's never speak of it again. <laughs> well, everyone thinks he's just seeing things, but he swears he saw a woman and she appeared to be holding something. We then get a close-up of Richard and the others looking out the window trying to see what his father did. And as we do, behind them, that woman in white passes, scaring the shit out of me. <laughs> She then knocks on Frank's window, scaring the shit out of everyone in the car, and now I don't feel so alone. Uh, So Frank rolls down his window and explains that they're lost, and would she know the quickest way back to the highway? The woman doesn't answer, and we can see she has a cut on her forehead. Frank gets out of the car and asks if she's okay, but she still won't answer. We can also see she's holding a baby wrapped in a blanket. So Frank asks if anyone has a cell phone to call her some help. But when Brad checks his, there's no service. Frank then remembers seeing that cabin they just passed and asks Richard to be a gentleman and get out to make room for the lady. Richard says, let Brad be the gentleman. Brad's all, what's your problem, man? And the two of them start fighting. So Marion volunteers to get out and walk back to the cabin and meet them there, which is stupid. This is a stupid decision, and realistically, I would hope this would never happen. Yeah. No one should let a young woman just walk down a dark road alone in the middle of the night. Yeah. What is better about this plan? Like, you're just replacing one lonely woman on the road with another lonely woman on the road. I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. How how has this made anything better? It's, we've just traded. One's just not carrying a baby, but that's fine that she's still pretty. Actually, (laughs) We'll get to that later. (laughs) 
Uh, but we quickly learned after the car drives away that Marion really just wanted the alone time to grab a smoke. Yeah. Uh, but she gets real frustrated because she can't get it lit and just ends up not smoking anyway. Also, I should point out that really no one needed to be left behind. It's an SUV, so someone could have gotten in the back. Yeah. But, I mean, we we can see there's gifts back there, so I guess we're to assume there just wasn't any room. But if I had to choose between walking two miles in the middle of Scaryville nowhere <laughs> or being mildly crowded... For the 10 minutes it takes to drive back there, yeah, move over Cousin Susie's crockpot because my ass is squeezing in the back. My idea would be like, okay, Papa, since you want to get out and help her so much, you can get out and walk her to the cabin. We will drive. <laughs> we'll meet your ass there since this is your grand idea to get out and help. Mr. Bob the Builder. Mr. Fix-It. <laughs> Valid point. <laughs> Valid point. Both plans would work. <laughs> Well, back in the car, Laura offers our mystery woman a cup of coffee, but the woman still refuses to speak. Laura tells Frank she thinks the lady is in shock and they should have asked Marion what to do. Frank tells her that they don't need a shrink. They'll go to the cabin and call 911 and they'll know what to do. Richard rudely and loudly complains that it stinks in the car, which Brad berates him for being rude since the smell appears to be coming from the baby. They arrive back at the cabin and Richard and his angst get out of the car to get a break from the family. Frank tries to ask our mystery woman her name, where she lives, but the woman still isn't talking. Meanwhile, we check in on Marion. Yep, still walking. And then Richard, who has snuck away to jack off. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Family shit sucks. But at no time have I ever thought... If I could just sneak away and bust a quick nut, yeah. I can find the strength to get through this. <laughs> you know what would make this feel so much better? <laughs> if I could just go take a little quick break in the forest, bare ass naked, also, and pound one out. <laughs> it just so happens to be carrying a Playboy yeah. in his pocket. Yeah, sure. as one does for mm-hmm. those, you know... Emergency. Giggly googly emergencies. <laughs> That's what I call them, my giggly googly. <laughs> I'm going to go take a shower. My giggly googly. I don't know. See how I'm feeling later. I've had a rough day. I might, <laughs> I might just head home and, I don't know, one or two hours of giggly googly and then, you know, see where the night takes me. Text someone, you up? (laughs) (laughs) How about some Netflix and Giggly Googly? (laughs) Hello? No? All right. I'll go back to bed. All right. (laughs) Oh, goodness. This went awry. All right. Well, (laughs) back with our group, still in the car. Frank and Laura get inside the cabin to look for a phone. As they're looking around, Frank finds several hatchets and tools on the wall. Laura is inspecting the animal skulls hanging on the wall and knocks one of them off for a nice jump scare. Out in the car, Brad is trying to make small talk with the woman. He notices she has on a ring and asks if she's married. When she doesn't answer, he says that he and Marion are getting married, which is new information to us. He then says... 
actually, don't tell anyone, but I'm asking her to marry me tonight at her grandmother's. Oh, so you just assumed she's going to say yes. Uh, I see. Yeah, I'm just going to keep you in the boyfriend status, Brad. Something tells me that proposal isn't going to go too well. In fact, we pretty immediately get the sense that no one is too happy in this family. And just to solidify that point, in our very next scene, we cut back to Marion still walking and making her way back to meet everyone at the cabin. And she is practicing her breakup speech to Brad. Yeah, seems like they are not on the same page. (laughs) Trouble in paradise. (laughs) Well, back at the cabin, Frank finds a phone and picks up the receiver to check if it's working and immediately slams it back down when he finds out it's not. Laura asks, was there no dial tone? And Frank replies, no, Laura, I just forgot the number to 911. (laughs) (laughs) This movie really is funny. It really is. I highly recommend. It has some laughs. I'm not going to do it justice. (laughs) I can't include all the jokes. Please go watch it. It's so good. Check it out. Well, back out in the car, the mystery woman in white finally speaks and says, My little girl, her name's Amy. She's really cold. And Brad's all, yeah, it is really cold in here. And then she's like, here, you hold her. And Brad's like, I'm really not a baby kind of guy. But she just shoves her kid into his arms. Not everyone wants to touch your baby, Karen. Keep your fucking (laughs) sticky kids to yourself. (laughs) Brad asks, how does she breathe with all those blankets on her face? To which the mystery woman says, don't worry, she's dead. And she starts laughing. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Hell no. (laughs) No, no, no. Yeah. Brad then, of course, has to check for himself, so he moves the blankets from the baby's face to reveal the baby's dead. That's all I can tell you. It's a super quick shot, but all you can really see is what looks like raw hamburger meat and tiny teeth. Which, you know, that's a baby if I've ever seen one. (laughs) I don't have children myself. I don't think that's what they look like. I think something has gone wrong with this one. (laughs) This one's broken. I don't know what to do with this one. (laughs) Well, Brad screams as we cut to Richard just as he climaxes. He hears the scream and quickly tries to get his pants back up and get back to the car. But in his panic, he whacks his head on a tree branch. Frank and Laura come running out of the cabin, but when they get to the car, Brad, the woman, and her hamburger baby are gone. (laughs) Richard arrives back at the car, and they all start calling for Brad. Next, back with Marion, still walking along the road, she sees a car start to approach from off in the distance. She watches the car grow near, and we can see it's an old hearse. As it passes, Marion looks in the back window and sees Brad banging on it, calling her name. But the hearse continues driving, so Marion takes off running toward the cabin. Once she arrives, she's freaking out and tells Frank they have Brad. But Frank's like, who has Brad? What are you talking about? And she's like, I saw him in a car. We've got to go. So they all get back in the car and Frank takes off. Frank's trying to figure out what happened and who has Brad. Laura's worried that Frank is driving too fast and wonder if this other car might have taken a side road. But Frank's like, did you see one? Me either. And just keeps speeding down the road until all of a sudden he slams on the brakes. Everyone's all, what's going on? Why'd you stop? But Frank just demands the flashlight and gets out. 
He walks over and shines the light on something in the road just off camera and has a very negative reaction. Marion gets out of the car to see what's going on and Frank yells at her to stay back and not to come over there. But that never works and only makes everyone want to see. So now everyone is out of the car and (laughs) comes over to look at what Frank sees that we cannot. Marion immediately faints and Richard catches her. Frank tells him to put her in the car, which he does. He then returns to where his parents are and we see Frank is poking whatever is on the ground with a stick. Richard asks what he's doing and Laura explains that he's looking for Brad's phone. Richard says... With a stick? To which Laura replies, you got a better idea? Richard answers, I can't believe I'm going to do this. And he bends down to fish out Brad's phone from whatever squishy thing (laughs) is on the ground that we still cannot see. When he finally pulls the phone up, it's covered in blood and Brad's ear is still attached to the phone's antenna via his douchebag hoop earring. This was 2003, so Brad was still rocking a flip phone. Richard pulls the ear off, and Laura asks for the phone. She then tells Richard, who's still holding the ear, drop that, that thing's dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Lynn Shay is awesome. She's so good. So this scene as a whole is great. If you haven't figured it out, Brad is very dead and appears to be pretty much just a pile of goop on the road, uh, which will be available in Gwyneth's seasonal catalog for the low price of $2,300 an ounce. (laughs) Makes a great stocking stuffer. Uh, And this is how you handle these type of situations in your low budget horror film when you don't have the money for good effects. You get good actors who can sell the horror mm-hmm. of what they're reacting to. Yeah. Along with some really good Foley work because it sounds squishy yeah. and gross. And, you know, outside of that, your audience's imagination will fill in the rest. Mm-hmm. Because since you already showed me a hamburger meat baby, I guarantee you anything you would have shown me here is nowhere near as bad is what I'm imagining Brad's crumpled, mutilated body looks like. (laughs) Just heaped in a pile in the middle of the road. Yeah, yeah. The performances in this movie are stellar, particularly from Lynn Shay and Ray Wise. Yeah, it's really good. And speaking of those performances, Lynn Shay in this next scene is amazing. So Laura takes the phone and steps away to call the police. But when she gets on the phone, she can already hear another woman's voice And she's pleading for help. The woman keeps saying she can't feel her legs and that her baby is bleeding and won't wake up. She then repeatedly starts begging for someone to help them. But Laura gets freaked out and just throws down the phone, breaking it. She then goes back over to Frank and Richard and says they've got to get out of there. And when Frank asks if Laura got a hold of the police, she just said the phone was broken and they really just need to go. Frank agrees, but says they can't just leave Brad's body in the road, so he tells Richard to pull it off to the side. But Richard has to answer like a teenager and says, Jesus, what do I look like, your fucking janitor? To which Frank slaps the fuck out of him. (laughs) Out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, shit. It's, It's kind of... I mean, we've been able to tell from the beginning that... There are underlying problems in this family, Mm -hmm. but it's, I think, right here that you really realize, 
oh, shit, there's more going on here than we think. Mm -hmm. And things are really starting to slip through the cracks and show through. Yeah, definitely. They're they're on the verge of snapping. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Laura just walks away and goes back to the car where she tries to get through to Marion, who appears to be awake, but really is just looking straight through Laura. Laura keeps calling her name and now begins slapping Marion in the face harder and harder to snap her out of it. But Frank comes over and stops her and says Marion's in shock, to which Laura stops and apologizes. Next, everyone gets back in the car, and Frank says they're going to the police. Laura's mother's house is right next to the sheriff's station, so they should be there in about 15 minutes. They start off down the road again and soon see a sign for a town called Marcotte. But Frank has never heard of it, and when Richard checks for it on the map, there's no such town listed. Frank asks Laura for the local map, but she says she didn't bring it because they never needed it before. Frank says... But I asked you to remember. And Laura says, I'm sorry, I I had a lot to remember. What were the presents and the food and getting the kids ready to go? And Frank's all, who the fuck cares about presents when we're stuck in the middle of nowhere? And Laura's all, we've been coming here for 20 years and always take the interstate. How the fuck was I supposed to know this was the year you're going to pull a shortcut out of your ass and would need a local fucking map? (laughs) Next time I'll bring a globe in case you feel like driving by way of the North Pole. And now mom and dad are fighting, and Richard is sad and looking to Marion for support. But Marion's still off in Candyland, skipping her way to Gumdrop Mountain. Uh, And this is the part of the movie where they copied the script directly from one of my family car rides. (laughs) Only I didn't have a sibling to help shoulder the pain and sadness. (laughs) Wah, wah. (laughs) The holidays are fun. Well, they continue on to Marcotte, but soon the question of time comes up and Laura says it's 7.30. But she had said it was 7.30 earlier when they picked up the woman in white, so they figure the car's clock must be broken. But when they check their watches, they've all stopped at 7.30 as well. This causes Richard to pose the theory that this has all been caused by aliens. Of course, Frank and Laura scoff at this idea, and then, out of nowhere, Marion starts singing Jingle Bells. It's kind of terrifying. It's really eerie. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Richard just puts on his headphones to tune her out, but Marion just keeps on singing. Eventually, Frank asks Laura to make Marion stop. Laura says to just let her be, and maybe it will help. We next get a few exposition shots that let us know some time has passed. We see Marion has stopped singing, and Laura wakes up from a nap and asks how long she was out. Frank says it was only about ten minutes. She asks if they've come to Marcotte yet, to which Frank replies no, just before once again slamming on his brakes, bringing the car to a stop, avoiding hitting a baby carriage in the middle of the road. Frank is like, why is there a baby carriage in the middle of the road? But Laura is starting to lose it a bit and is like, I don't like this. Let's just go. But then Richard gets out of the car and walks up to the carriage, Laura screaming at him to get back in the car. He smiles at the crib and says, hey, little guy, and reaches in. But then something grabs Richard's arm and pulls him like he's trying to pull him into the carriage. Richard is screaming and his parents are back in the car screaming as they're watching their son be viciously attacked. 
And then Richard stands up and just starts laughing. It was all just a joke and Richard is fine. Frank is like, I'm going to kill that kid. (laughs) Frank and Laura get out of the car and go over to Richard and the carriage. The carriage is empty, of course, and Frank pushes it off the road and tells Richard, nice job. That was dumb, as Laura is clearly extremely upset. Frank goes over and asks her, what's wrong now? Really? What's wrong now? (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Are you on another family trip where you didn't take a shortcut through a hell mouth? (laughs) I don't think she needs more of a reason other than your current state of fucked upness. He's like, oh my God, you're complaining so much tonight. What is the issue? Uh, Let me tell you right now, if you see someone is upset, your first words should never be, what's wrong now? (laughs) You deserve to be punched in the face. What's wrong now? You act like you saw somebody dead tonight, okay? Cheer the fuck up. It's Christmas Eve, bitch. (laughs) Oh, goodness. So Laura says that she can't stop thinking about Diane and what they're going to tell her about Brad because he was their responsibility. But Frank flips the fuck out as all, I don't want to worry about that now. I just want to figure out some goddamn way to get out of here. Talk about a merry fucking Christmas screaming in Laura's face like this is all her damn fault. So mom and dad head off behind the car to argue while Frank breaks into the gifts to steal Uncle Herb's liquor. Meanwhile, Richard comes back to the car and tries to get through to Marion. He's like, so mom and dad are kind of losing it. This whole thing is pretty fucking crazy. Come on, you've got to snap out of it, okay? Mom is always going on about what a great shrink you are. You're the only person that can figure a way out of this, okay? But when he still can't get through to her, he tries to shock her out of it by telling her, remember your hamster that disappeared and I told you it had been abducted by aliens? Well, I lied. It was me and Kevin. We stuck it in the microwave and killed it. I have no idea who Kevin is or if this story is real, but regardless, it doesn't work, and Marion is still only slightly more animate than a bowl of jello. Yeah, yeah. If anything, you would think that would, like, just make her shut down. Even more. Yeah. Yeah, we don't treat trauma with more trauma. (laughs) You think that's rad? Here's some more shit. (laughs) It's it's like when you're crying when you're a child and your parent says, you better stop crying or I'm going to give you something to really cry about. How does that ever help? <laughs> I need you to explain to me <laughs> what you think about that as consoling. I don't know how that's going to make me stop crying. Because nothing makes me happy like the threat of more sadness. <laughs> Cheer the fuck up or I'll make you even more sad. <laughs> Perhaps we should have given a trigger warning for family trauma before we talked about this movie. (laughs) We didn't know this was going to open wounds. (laughs) Well, Richard tries to storm off, but quickly stops when he sees that baby carriage that Frank definitely pushed off to the side of the road is now back in front of the car. He calls his parents over and Laura blames Richard, thinking it's another one of his jokes. But when she asks Frank to say something to Richard... Frank just says he thinks it's time for them to get out of there. So he pushes the carriage to the side again, and they all just get back in the car and take off down the road. 
that's that's it. We just we hide our problems and we don't talk about them. <laughs> Nothing else to see here. Put that under the rug and call it a day. That's right. Let's get Christmas smiles on everyone. <laughs> well, they travel on for a while and more arguments occur. At one point, they try the radio, but all they can hear is what sounds like a baby crying. Frank and Laura start arguing about terrible past holidays, and Frank complains about Laura's family, saying he knows her mother never thought he was good enough for her, and her brother's a freak who jerks off to gun magazines. And Laura's all, Mikey has a lot of hard times. (laughs) It's like, okay. (laughs) I don't know what that means. (laughs) I do love this, though, this scene, because, A, it's only further developing this, this... family dynamic that we're seeing not only is this animosity and rage in this little close family but it also extends to the extended part of the family Mm -hmm. uh but it also really does i mean shine a light on on real uh you know families and the trauma and drama that they can deal with but also like him complaining about the fact that her brother jacks off to gun magazines whenever there's already a problem in their own home you know what i mean that they completely ignore yeah 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 Yeah, it's it's the irony and the hypocrisy exactly exactly it's very true to life well of course the two of them just continue arguing and bickering until one of the car's tires blows out and frank has to do everything he can to keep the car under control and bring it to a stop they sit there in silence for a moment and suddenly marion is fully awake and says i'm pregnant they all sit there in silence again and richard says i smoke pot and frank says i'm gonna go change the tire Again, it's just like what we were talking about here. These huge monumental moments happen. And they're just like, okay, I... (laughs) I have to deal with this problem. Yeah. I have to, this comes first. I can't process that right now. Yeah. It's just like, oh, what? Just put it on the pile. Mm-hmm. Just put it on the pile of shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone gets out while Frank changes the tire. Richard tries to help, but Frank doesn't like the way he's doing it, so he insults him. So Richard tells him to fucking do it himself, and he goes off to smoke a joint. As he does, he puts on his headphones for a little jam session, but is interrupted by the lady in white. Yep, this bitch is back, minus her baby, and she's interested in making a little kissy face with Richard, and Richard is totally down. Uh, But looks like Richard bit off a little more than he could chew, or rather the woman in white did, and she bites off his lower lip. Yeah. Oh, my God. And when the woman pulls away, Richard appears to be under some sort of trance with his lower lip just gone and blood mm-hmm. oozing out of his mouth. And he goes, I love you. Yeah. And it just pushes more blood out yes. as he says it. Also, boys fall so hard so fast. <laughs> Chill out. Well, the woman in white then lets her white dress fall, leaving her naked, but we're only seeing her from behind, and apparently the view from the other side is much worse because whatever she has revealed makes Richard scream in terror. Back at the car, Frank finishes changing the tire, and Laura calls for Richard to come back so they can leave. But just then, they see headlights approaching. It's that old hearse again, and as it passes they see that Richard is now trapped inside. They chase after the car, but Marion and Frank go back to get their car and pick up Laura to give chase. 
Frank puts the pedal to the metal, but he can't seem to catch up with the hearse. In fact, he can't even see the car and thinks they might have turned off their lights. Meanwhile, Laura is in hysterics and Marion is yelling at her to calm down while Frank keeps insisting he'll catch up to him and won't let anything happen to Richard. But then Frank hits something with the car and has to once again slam on his brakes. Laura is screaming that it's Richard, but Frank is sure it isn't. They all get out of the car and approach the new pile of goop in the middle of the road. This time, all we can see is one of Richard's badly injured and burned arms sticking up in the air. Laura rushes to his side and refuses to believe he's dead, insisting this is just one of his jokes. She says to Richard's corpse, You're just like your father. Remember the time he took me to New Orleans? And Frank, crying over his son's body, says, We never went to New Orleans, to which Laura says, Of course not. You're not his father. And we all go, What? (laughs) (laughs) And so does Frank. Laura says, Richard's not your son. Don't you remember Alan Rickson? And Marion's like, Mom, what are you talking about? But Frank just says she's out of her mind and goes over and pulls Laura away from Richard. But she's screaming the whole time, My baby, please let me stay with him. It's heartbreaking and so well played by Lynn Shea. Mm -hmm. She is just phenomenal in this movie. Yeah, yeah, she really is. I I think... Uh, you know, like I said, we've watched this before and I remember being impressed before and enjoying it, but really sitting down and getting to, like, like I said, off the top kind of critique this and, uh, you know, just dive into it more. Yeah. I really was impressed by the performances and just, um, the dramatics of it all and how how it wasn't too over the top but it was enough to be like heart-wrenching in some spots and you don't always find that a lot in horror movies um to really get that kind of that emotional reaction yeah i remember each time that i watched this thinking you know it's such a shame that a lot of times horror movies just come you know, with the stigma about them that they're less than movies. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't deserve to be uh, included with regular cinema that's considered for, you know, like the Academy Awards. It's just a shame that her performance would never even be considered when it damn well should be. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I'd put it right up there with some of the greats. It really is some fine work. Yeah. And it's just, it's unfortunate that uh, a lot of people will never even get to see it just mm-hmm. because they have this idea of horror movies being less than. Yeah. And it makes me sad. Yeah, I agree. Well, Frank comes back to get Marion to bring her back to the car. She says they can't leave Richard there, and Frank says they won't. He's his son, and he goes with them. In other words, no matter what Laura just said, Frank raised that kid, and therefore he's his son. So they take all the gifts out of the back and load Richard's body. But there's one gift they won't be leaving behind. And they open Uncle Mike's Christmas present, which just so happens to be a 12-gauge shotgun complete with ammo. How convenient. Well, they get back in the car and Laura has lost it at this point. She's eating that chocolate pumpkin pie and asks if Michael is coming. Frank's like, who the hell is Michael? Laura explains that Michael is Richard's real name because that's what Alan wanted to call him. And Frank snaps at her, Richard is dead! To which Laura just goes, okay. 
do you want some pie? <laughs> Uh, and we should say the way she's eating it, there are no utensils in the car. No. So she's just straight hand to mouth, scooping it out of that pie tin and shoving it in her face. Yeah. And it is a goopy mess. Yeah, it really is. Again, I think it, this just further bolsters her her ability to act because we she goes from this completely over the top emotional scene, upset to really I mean you can see it she shuts that off and she really has just snapped and she doesn't have a filter anymore things no longer she doesn't care I mean she's just gone yeah and yeah she's fully like hands in the pie going at it. it's all over her face she has just m- mom's gone yeah, she she's lost it <laughs> yeah yeah well they continue driving and see another sign for that town of Marcotte but nothing ever says how far away it is Frank is worried whether or not Laura will recover, and Marion just hopes there's a hospital if they ever reach that town. At some point, Laura finds a bag of potato chips and starts to eat them. Marion tells her to slow down so she doesn't make herself sick, but Laura's all, I'm not going to make myself sick. Cut to the next scene where they've had to pull over again because Laura is getting sick. While she's taking care of business, Marion asks Frank about this Alan Rickson guy. But Frank claims he has no idea who he is and that her mother is in shock and doesn't know what she's talking about. But out of nowhere, Laura has found Uncle Mike's present and Frank and Marion are all, put that down, it's not a toy. Finally, Frank yells at Laura, God damn it, this isn't a game, our son is dead. Laura screams, no, and shoots Frank in the leg. And Frank says, the bitch shot me in the leg. <laughs> yeah, this scene is really good because you definitely feel the fear of them of like realizing like she's unhinged and now she's got a gun and she could easily like take them hostage. Like, you know. Well, at one point she even sticks it in her mouth herself. Yeah. And you're just like, oh God, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah. And then they even kind of play it off where we see her shoot, but we for a split second don't know where. Um, and then, yeah, when we find out it's the leg, we do have that kind of relief of knowing that, like, okay, he's going to keep going for a little while. But, yeah, it is a, it's a almost like high, uh, high anxiety reaction to a comedic relief moment where mm-hmm. I think it's needed in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we then see Marion use the first aid kit out of the car to Dr. Frank's leg. The wound seems to be mostly superficial, and they're soon back on the road. Back in the car, with Laura now passed out in the back seat, Frank is hitting the whiskey hard as a poor man's painkiller, and Marion tells him to take it easy if he insists on driving. We get some more exposition shots that signify the passage of time, and I love the music here. There's not much of a score to this film. It's mostly just some 80s punk-style songs that are usually serve as uh, the music that Richard is listening to on his little disc man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do get a really nice instrumental piece here that's very reminiscent of a group called Tangerine Dream who provided a lot of music for movies in the 80s like Risky Business, Firestarter, and Legend. In fact, Tangerine Dream is so synonymous with the 80s, their music was even used in some of the episodes of Stranger Things to give it that 80s feel. Uh, I was absolutely obsessed with Tangerine Dream in the 80s. So when I heard this piece, I I, I knew what it was an homage to immediately. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's really well done. Well, we see the car once again pulled over and Marion has fallen asleep. 
But when she wakes, she sees the car has stopped and Frank isn't there. But he's just fine. Turns out he just stopped to take a break and study the map. And he has developed a theory based on how much gas they've used and how long they've been traveling that this Marcotte that they keep seeing a sign for must be a coastal town and they should hit it within another 50 miles or so. Meanwhile, Frank tells Marion that he's still worried about her mother. And lo and behold, when they both turn around, who should be standing there but Laura? <laughs> they ask her how she's doing, and she claims she's doing fine, considering. But she certainly doesn't look fine, and definitely isn't acting fine. We can also hear the background score has gone wonky, and the sound is really warped, mm -hmm. and it sounds very ethereal and ghostly. Yeah. Uh, it, it all gives us the sense that no matter how much Laura tries to convince us and her family that everything is fine, everything is not fine. Yeah, yeah. She then tells Frank that he's a wonderful father and husband and that she understands about him and Sally Schmidt and how they used to meet at a Motel 6 and buck like funnies on their lunch break. <laughs> it's fine because she knows she's never been able to fulfill his sexual fantasies and when this is all over... He can do anything he wants to her. Anything. It's <laughs> so terrifying. And all this is in front of Marion, and she's like, oh my God. <laughs> she says, anyway, the most important thing is that we all come out of this stronger. What do you think? She asked to Frank, to which he says, not much. <laughs> Laura then says, now, there's something else that's been bothering me since I woke up. Who are these people in the woods? Of course, Frank and Marion, nor the audience, see anything in the woods. So something is definitely not right yeah. with Miss Laura. I, I'm not too eager to see the people in the woods either, if I'm <laughs> going to be real honest. I don't want that question answered. Yeah. I don't want to be privy to what she's seeing. <laughs> Well, back in the car again, Laura asks Frank to slow down because the people in the woods are waving. Nope. Yep, that's what they're doing. Don't like it. Well, she thinks she sees her friend Janine and wants Frank to stop. But Frank tells her they're not stopping since apparently Janine died 20 years ago. But Laura is insistent that she be allowed to go see her friend. And when Frank still refuses to stop, Laura just opens the door and jumps out. Yeah, car's going like 60. Yeah, that's, you know, not a problem. Of course, Marion freaks the fuck out and screams as Frank slams on the brakes. Frank and Marion jump out of the car. Frank finds one of Laura's shoes and the contents of her purse strewn across the road, but there's no sign of Laura. Marion speculates that she might have run off into the woods, but Frank says there's no way. The car was going too fast and she would have broken her neck. Just then, they see headlights approaching them. Rut roll. It's that damn hearse. But this time, Frank runs back to the car and grabs that shotgun. He fires several shots at the car until the car stops. Frank revels in his victory. I got him! As the car is put in <laughs> reverse and backs away into the dark of night. And we see that Laura has been left in the middle of the road very much alive although she won't be able to return that outfit it's uh it's pretty trash yeah it's a little dirty yeah she's been a little scuffed up a little roughed up a bit on the edges uh well frank and marion rush to her side and ask how she is laura says she's fine but her head hurts a little bit frank gives her the once over and when he looks at the back of her head 
we can see the back of her skull is missing. Yeah, we can see her brain parts. Yep, just the big old brain hanging out. Um, She's like, is something wrong with my hair? And she reaches up and makes contact with her own brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, this causes her to begin orgasming. Yeah. Um, hmm. And then at the height of her climax, she even calls Alan's name. <laughs> Yeah. Adding more insult to Frank's almost obliterated ego at this point. Uh, Frank lays her down on the ground as Laura looks up into whatever reality she is currently experiencing and says, Daddy, I made the cheerleading squad. This is the happiest day of my life. As she takes her last breath and dies. That was crazy. Yeah, that scene is just it's it's crazy it's because it's so fast i mean there's so much going on we're we're thrust into kind of like already a little bit of uh unsurety because we've never seen this car drop anybody off so we're Mm -hmm. already like okay what's going on there that's a little bit weird and then yeah automatically she's like reaching for her brain she's going into full brain orgasm and then she falls over and and passes away and the whole performance is amazing she does such an incredible job it's just, it's insane. It's insane. This scene is just bananas. And then, yeah, you as the audience member just kind of left like, holy shit. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's really all you can say when it's over. It's just like, well, there you go. All right. What next? Yeah. <laughs> this road trip has gone awry. And I think at this point we should call it quits. Yeah. <laughs> Things have just, I don't think this is going to be a Christmas for the books. <laughs> Well, Frank, distraught over the loss of Laura, takes the shotgun and acts like he's going to shoot himself with it. But thankfully, Marion is able to stop him, saying she's lost too much and can't lose him, too. She's having a baby and he can't leave them. Marion says that every time they've stopped, someone has gotten killed. So as long as they keep moving, they should be fine. So they load up Laura's body and get back in the car. At least now we get a new driver as Frank has finally relinquished a little bit of that control due to his grief and allowed Marion to take the wheel. But this just gives Frank more time to hit the bottle and as he does, we see he gets a bit more chatty and decides to air a little bit more of the family's dirty laundry and admits to Marion that he knows exactly who Alan Rickson is. He goes on to explain how Alan was actually a friend of his who had even asked him for advice once, saying that he was involved with a married woman, although he didn't mention her by name, and that he wanted to know what he should do about it. And Frank said to him, hey, you only live once, buddy, go for it. And if she loves you, she'll leave her husband and go with you. He only saw Alan one other time after that. He said the woman had decided... She didn't want to leave her husband. She already had a kid, a little girl, and she didn't want to lose her. Always wondered why he never kept in touch. But just then, Marion reaches over, grabs his whiskey bottle, and throws it out of the window. Frank gets pissed and is all, what the hell did you do that for? Marion says, if you're scared, alcohol will only make it worse. I love this question here Mm -hmm. because it's obvious she's not just talking about their current situation. There's a reason she brought it up right after he tells the story about the man his wife had an affair with. Mm -hmm. 
But like most family drama, we can't look too deep into it. Yeah. It's got to stay repressed like the rest of it. So we go right back to talking about their current situation. Yes, he's getting scared because they've now driven for longer than the 50 or so miles they estimated it would take them to get to the coast and what they hoped would be the town of Marcotte. So now Frank gets the idea that there's nothing that says they have to drive to Marcotte. They could walk there instead. So I'm not sure how this is any better than driving. Yeah, that doesn't uh, sound like a good plan to me. Yeah, and Marion did just say that every time you stop the car, someone dies. But by all means, let's stop the fucking car again and get out and walk. <laughs> so out of the car again, Marion says they should at least wait until sunrise. But Frank says, no, you said every time we stop, someone dies. So we got to keep moving. Yes, but you stop the car in order to start walking, so the stopping part has already happened. You already done stopped the thing. It's illogical. You goober. <laughs> Whatever, now we're walking. So <laughs> they're hearing all kinds of noises, and it's apparent that Frank's true colors are starting to show, and his fear and paranoia are getting more prevalent. But it also seems like Marion is getting a bit more of a backbone and is actually like, Come on, ghost, come and get us. And Frank's all, shh, why would you do that? What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> That's like me and you in the woods. <laughs> yeah, I've got to be the big bulldog. Yeah. <laughs> I said bulldog. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get some more walking until they see a light in the distance. They start trying to yell at it, thinking they've found help. But when they get closer, they realize they've just found their own car, but are now on the opposite side of the road that they started on. So, like, somehow they've walked all the way around the world and have come out on the other side. Checks out. Mm-hmm. Well, they get to the car and Frank says, it's still locked. To which Marion says, so what? And Frank says, then who turned them on? Because they had turned those lights off when they left. Mm -hmm. So Frank gets in the car and checks Laura, who's covered in a sheet, uh, but she's still very much dead. Frank tells Marion, I'm not getting back in that car. And she says, me either. Cut to them back in the car and we are <laughs> once again driving. We see Frank is writing something, and Marion asks what he's working on. He says it's a list of things he wants to do when this is over, but he hasn't actually added anything to the list yet, so Marion offers to help him. He says he wants to do something cool, like buy an Atari computer and some games. Marion then tells him if he wants to be cool, then he should buy a PlayStation. And then you wonder, you had a teenage son. How in the fuck in 2003 do you not know what a PlayStation is? <laughs> <laughs> and you still think Atari is still all the rage? I call bullshit. <laughs> anyway, Frank then comes up with his own addition to the list. But when Marion asks what he wrote, he says it's none of her business. He then sees something on the side of the road and yells at Marion to stop. So Marion slams on the brakes and comes to a stop right in front of that cabin where they stopped earlier in the night to try and find a phone to get help. Marion says there's got to be a dozen ranger stations on this road. This can't be the same one. And Frank says, no, it can't be, but it is. They open the door to the cabin to check it out, but when they try and turn on the light, the bulb burns out. So Frank sends Marion back to the car to get the flashlight. 
Meanwhile, Frank decides to check out the cabin using a pack of matches, even though they keep going out. We can see enough in Frank's match light to know this is the exact cabin they were in earlier because we can see that same skull that Laura knocked off the wall, but now it's back on the wall again. But one of the times he lights the match, the woman in white is standing right behind him. No, thank you. (laughs) Nope. And then she leans forward and blows the match out. Back outside, we see Marion has the flashlight as we hear Frank screaming back in the cabin. Marion runs inside with the flashlight and we can see Frank has grabbed an axe off the wall and is just blindly flailing it about. And Marion's like, what are you doing? And Frank's all, there's somebody in here. But then he can see in the flashlight light that there is indeed no one there. So he just drops to his knees and is all, we're damned. And Marion comes over and hugs him and they cry. But then Marion's all, no road goes on forever. That was it. That's her big, uh, buck up, buddy. We can do this speech. <laughs> I would be like, I mean, yeah, but this one feels like it. And so I'm upset. <laughs> I mean, have you been on every road? This could be the exception. <laughs> it's fine if we skip it. Uh, and the two of them get up and go out to the car. But on the way, Frank says... Where'd all this fog come from? And Marion's all, uh, there's no fog, Dad. And Frank says, no fog? Sounds like someone needs to pay a visit to Dr. Sachs to get her eyes checked. And we're all like, um, yeah, we don't see fog either. So Frank has obviously lost it at this point. Papa is now gone. He's gone. Well, then Frank asks, where's the whiskey? And Marion says, I threw it away, remember? And Frank says, you what? You ungrateful brat, and proceeds to beat the shit out of Marion. Yeah, like full on slap in the face, punched in the nose. It's it's crazy to the point of unconsciousness, mm-hmm. and it is like he turned on a dime. It's a little too real. Yeah, it's alarming. <laughs> it's scary. He then seems to snap out of it and is all, "My baby, what have I done?" He then thinks he sees that woman in white walking off into the woods, so he grabs the shotgun out of the car and goes off after her, firing wildly into the dark. He continues to fire and yell off camera until we hear what sounds like a knife being drawn and a body dropped to the ground. Back in the car, moments later, Marion comes to and calls for her dad, but we just see the silhouette of someone is circling the car outside and keeps saying, he's dead, he's dead. So Marion climbs into the front seat, starts up the car, and takes off driving again, but she doesn't make it more than a block before she runs out of gas. So she gets out of the car and starts walking. At one point, she walks under a tree branch that's hanging over the road, dripping blood. She stands under it and lets the blood drip onto her as she screams. I don't know why she's taking this blood shower, uh, but that's all we see. And she just starts walking down the road again. Yeah, I would I would step out of the way. Yeah, I don't I don't know if this was like supposed to be her dad's body because everybody else, you know, we've found in the road. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's, I don't know. It was weird. Uh, Well, finally, she just uh, screams out into the ether, you know, come on, stop playing with me. Let's end this. And she takes off her shoes, too. So, you know, she means business. Uh, 
but no one shows up to take her up on her offer, so she starts walking again, but it isn't too long before she runs into four body bags laid out in the middle of the road. You already know this is her family, but just to be sure, Marion opens that fourth bag and confirms that, yes, indeed, this is her family, and Frank is very much dead. We next see that hearse slowly approaching as Marion begins to back away, fearing he's there for her. But she backs right into the woman in white. The woman, still carrying her hamburger baby, says to Marion, don't worry, he's not here for you, and walks over to the hearse and gets in. And then the hearse drives away. Marion then turns, but a second set of headlights appear on Marion's face as we hear a horn honk and Marion screams as we cut all the way back to the moment at the beginning of the film when the family almost got in that accident when Frank fell asleep at the wheel. Only this time, we hear more of those crashing noises and glass breaking as we hard cut to Marion waking up screaming in a hospital as a doctor tries to calm her down. She is reassured that she and her unborn baby are going to be just fine. Out in the hall, we see Marion's doctor approached by a man who asks how Marion is doing. The doctor asks if he's family, and the man tells her, no, he's the one that found them and reported the accident. To which the doctor says, oh, then that should be fine for me to break any healthcare privacy laws. Let me tell you everything. <laughs> I thought the same thing when we were watching that. I was like, it's still not okay for you to give away this information, but yes, okay. it's uh, none of your business. Uh, so she says that it appears that the father fell asleep at the wheel and hit another car, a woman and her baby, and everyone was killed except for Marion. I also like how she says about Marion, she's been in a coma for a few hours, but she's going to be fine. I don't think you're in a coma just for a few hours. I think that's just called being unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> anyway, the guy's all, oh my, how tragic. Well, thanks, doctor. And he looks at her badge and reads Marcotte, Dr. Helen Marcotte. It wasn't a city, it's the name of the doctor. And then dude leaves and the doctor goes to get in her car, but apparently this doctor ain't getting those good pharmaceutical kickbacks because her piece of shit car won't start. But don't worry, our mystery man pulls up, to which the doctor says, nice car. The man says, thanks, I'm a collector. Can I give you a lift? And Dr. Marcotte says, why not? And we see her get in the car as we cut to our traditional ending scene crane shot that pulls out as the car pulls away. Hard cut to black. Roll credits. The doctor's on the highway to hell. Do, 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 do. We don't have the rights to that song. We so. don't. Um, that's where it ends. Uh, <laughs> but wait, we do have a mid credit scene that shows... Two city workers cleaning up the crash site after the family's car has been towed away. One of the workers finds that list that Frank had started, his list of things he wants to do when this is over. He asks the other worker if he dropped it. The guy's like, what is it? We see the list has buy an Atari as number one. And then he wrote, be the coolest grandfather ever as number two. Aww. Aww. That's so sweet. 
The second worker just takes the list, crumples it up, and throws it in with the other trash. Hard cut back to black. Finish rolling credits. More credits. More credits. credits. More credits. Uh, You do get a tiny reward if you stay to the end of the credits. There's this message that says, quote, To everyone still with us at the end of these credits, thank you. God bless you. You sure do like movies, end quote. Uh, yes, we do, and I particularly liked your movie. However, I cannot deduce your tone from text, therefore my insecurities interpret that to mean you're judging me for sitting through the credits, and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> because if I don't sit through the credits, how else would I know about this? The last thing we see after the credits conclude is a photograph of the family at some earlier event. It just looks like every typical candid family photo that never really shows what that family life is really like when the world isn't watching. Bum, bum, bum. Pretty dang good. That's our movie. I really, really enjoyed this one. Yeah, it's a fun one. It is super fun, good humor, decent effects when when they can do it. You know, it, yeah, it was obvious those couple of times that we get the globs in the road <laughs> that they just didn't have the budget. But I didn't care. Yeah. Because they pulled it off so well with the performances and the reactions mm-hmm. to those gobs in the road that it just... It didn't bother me in the slightest. And it's still, when we did get gore, it was good. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That, like, even on the parts that we did get gore, it didn't lack at all. It was still really good. And it it definitely shows that had the budget been there, that the movie could have definitely gone harder in the paint with the gore. And, And the fact that it didn't have to, and it still told the story well, and we're still able to get the creeps from what we are able to see, I think is re- is really well done. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I was, you know, like I said at the beginning, how it, this really did remind me of hereditary in the sense that, you know, it's this horror movie disguised as this family drama mm-hmm. and, and you get a lot more of that family drama than you anticipated, but yet, it does nothing but bolster the story. Yeah. The, the story is not as impactful without it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah. And it doesn't come off, too, because I know sometimes, um, you know, the whole family's bickering over the holidays in a movie hasn't, that's not new. That's, sure. you know, done in a lot of holiday movies. And sometimes, I know for me, in watching those movies, it can come off as a little, like, too real. It's like, okay, I... I don't want to watch this family sit here and bicker the whole damn time. That's not entertaining. It never comes off that way. It's never like over the top or too much. It's all interspaced throughout the movie, I think, really, really well. It's all timed well with, you know, we've got our gory parts, our our comic parts. And so, yeah, I think it it does a really good job of pacing and it never gets on your nerves as somebody that can be triggered by that kind of constant bickering a lot. Uh, it's, It's totally fine and manageable, I think, watching it. Yeah, this this movie does a really good job of of finding that balance. Mm-hmm. So I have a few bits of info to get to before we go on to our prompts. So in the end here, I guess uh, he's credited <laughs> not as the man in black, but he's credited as the men in black. So I guess he's multiple people, but the, our little dude at the end, the driver of the hearse, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, I say he's death. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the vibes I got, that he was some sort of reaper of some sorts, like Grim Reaper type of thing. Yeah, Grim Reaper, and you know, that 
and the fact that we had that mid-credit scene where they found the list, so we know that all this actually happened. Yeah. Uh, so uh, my theory is that they were stuck in some purgatory. Yeah. And kind of paying their penance, and mm-hmm. and everybody failed. Everybody sucks yeah. except for Marion. She she found some strength and some redeeming qualities, and really. Uh, pulled herself up and yeah. was able to survive. Uh, but yeah, so I think he's death guy, our, our men in black, <laughs> our multiple men. Uh, but he is actor Steve Valentine. Uh, this is his only horror film to date, but fun fact, Steve is an award-winning close-up magician and has performed in Las Vegas and the world-famous Magic Castle in Hollywood. This is going to sound so funny, but it's like he looks like a magician. Does he not? But also he looks like he would be in more scary movies in the aspect of like he plays this really brooding character really good. Does he not look like a vampire? Yeah, like he he totally was like embodied this death reaper type of thing. Like yes. as soon as he walked in, I was like, oh, of course, like, of course, he's the driver of that hearse. Like I never thought of him as anything other. Mm-hmm. So it was I mean, that twist was not a twist to me. I immediately was like, oh, that's the two drives that because he just embodied that so well. So, yeah, the fact that he only has one title is kind of shocking because I feel like they'd be like brooding man number one. OK, it's him because he's great at it. And he can throw in a magic shot if he wants to. <laughs> I I am a sucker for some close up magic. Mm-hmm. I love like people who can do crazy thing with cards and yeah yeah you know throw them against a window and it's stuck on the other side. I, it will blow my mind, and you can still tell me how they do it, and it will still be magic to me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just thought that was cool. That I would really be cool. one of those annoying people on set that any moment I could is like, do another trick. Can I see another one? Can I see another? One? Can I have another one now? Will you teach me how to do that? No, get away from me. I just asked for coffee. Go away. (laughs) Well, a couple other things. Our two actors that we get in our little post-credit scene, uh, they do have some creepy credits that I want to bring up. Uh, The late Jimmy Skaggs, uh, he was in Ghost Town, Puppet Master, and Hollow Man. But fun fact about Jimmy, on his IMDb page, under Trivia, it actually says, and I quote, he was hands down the best dancer in his high school class of 400, end quote. Now, like I said, IMDb, their little fact page, as long as you have an account with IMDb, anybody can add anything to a page. I feel like somebody has added this uh, as kind of a joke. Like he always used to say, well, you know, I was the best dancer in my high school. So I feel like someone got on there and not to make fun of him. Yeah. But just kind of like, you know what? I'm putting that on there. That's right. He was hands down the best dancer in his high school class. (laughs) And I think it's amazing. Yeah. I I love it. So random. But I also enjoy knowing that now. It's great. All 399, the rest of them are like, okay, fuck you, I guess. (laughs) Have you ever seen me do the hustle? I don't think so. Well, his uh, partner in that scene was the late Clement Blake. Uh, He has some creepy credits in Halfway Home, Riff, The Visitation, and Octopus 2, River of Fear. Classic, I'm sure. (laughs) And there you go. That That's our movie. That's what I got for you. It was a good one. It was a good one. I highly recommend this one. Yeah, and like I said, I think this was a fun one to end this month on because 
you know, thus far, a lot of our antagonists have been like, you know, crazy maniacs or serial killers on the road chasing after people. And yes, believe me, as somebody, like I said, has been watching these and loving them, but also thoroughly creeped out by them. That can be scary, but there is something about this movie that that definitely doesn't shy away from the creepiness as well. You know, being lost on this road that does seemingly go on forever and just going in a constant circle and not being able to find a way out. That's that's going to be a nope for me. So, yeah. Just terrifying. Super creepy. Very creepy. Well, we got some prompts we got to get to. I'm I'm excited to hear what you came up with. I'm wondering if some of ours are going to match up. I I imagine they probably are. But there's only one way to find out. Never tell each other. (laughs) And keep them to ourselves. Write it down, burn it, never speak of it again. (laughs) All right. Well, what did you have for your popcorn spiller? So for mine, I, I actually wrote down just kind of that first instance when we're kind of first met with the hearse. Uh, we never really like, I guess, kind of touched on how creepy the hearse scenes are mm-hmm. because they you never you're not seeing them like drive up as in like you're watching the headlights go from far away. It's like dark. You're looking down the road and then the headlights turn on and then you see the car driving at you. And so our first instance of seeing that, you know, Marion's out on the road by herself and she sees those headlights turn on and start driving towards her. And there's something about that being out on the road by herself. And of course, the creepiest stuff has happened in the movie thus far when those headlights click on and start slowly driving towards her that's a i'm uh -uh. nope i would have been in the woods i don't know (laughs) running off into the trees so fast yeah mine would have been gone absolutely yeah because it's just like where did it come from was he pulled over on the side of the road the whole time why has he just materialized out of nowhere yeah 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 it's the whole thing is really good at making moments feel just eerie just off you can just tell something is off and not right Mm -hmm. yeah it does a really good job at that yeah what did you have for your popcorn spiller uh i actually put the very first time the woman in white passes by the car Yeah, yeah yeah it's the first time frank sees her on the side of the road he slams on the brakes it's it's before we really know you know we've had his their near miss that we think where you know he's fallen asleep and now Mm -hmm. everyone's awake and now he thinks he sees this woman and while they're all looking just you know i'm one of those people that's always going to freak me out if you add something in the background that maybe not everybody notices or something like that it's just this creepy little extra that you're going the extra mile to creep me out and i hate it and love it at the same time i appreciate your dedication (laughs) Yeah, you love a good background scare. I do. Yeah, that one is a really good one, though. So who ended up being your scene stealer for this one? It's 100% Laura. Or I guess I should say Lynn Shay as Laura. Yeah, same. Absolutely outstanding in this. Yeah, I agree. That's who I ended up choosing as well. I mean, I love her in Insidious, and I I genuinely agree. I think in all of her horror roles, she just does such a good job of embodying any character that she's portraying but yeah there's something about this one just seeing the there, there's such an extreme in emotions in this movie from happy to sad to you know rage to grief to you know everything in between to you know just being in shock and catatonic and each of them play it so well that I feel like yeah Lynn Shea just does such a good job of really playing that mom character that just 
can't hold on anymore and has lost it. Yeah, the one who always has to put up the brave front and Mm -hmm. make it look like she's got her house in perfect order at Mm -hmm. all times and everything is just buttoned up and perfect and life is great. And as those cracks start to show and things start to fall apart, she just does an amazing job of showing us that journey Mm -hmm. uh, through her reactions and, and how, and how she portrays that. And she just did phenomenal. Yeah, I absolutely agree. All right. Well, Let's get to the icky stuff. So, what do you have for your gorgasm? So, I, I'm again. I think this one might be the same. The same. This one was um, Richard's lip being oh, bitten off. Hundred percent. Yeah, it was so nasty. Yeah, they did such a good job. Like you, like you said, even though we don't get a whole bunch of gore in this movie, the bits that we do get are really, really good. And like it goes straight from visually to. Uh, you know audibly as well the sound effects and everything and then just the small aspects you know we see them kiss the lip kind of slowly pull away and then yeah just that little extra amount of blood whenever he talks is just it's realistic as as realistic as you can get in that situation and it's just it's icky but also I can appreciate it because it looks it looks really good. Yeah the thing that sold it for me is when she does the first bite and pulls away but doesn't bite it off completely, so it's just left dangling. Yeah. It is so unpleasant to look at yeah. that it really helps sell it mm-hmm. on the gore factor. It was really, really, really well done. Yeah, absolutely. So then that brings us to our memorable mortality. <laughs> Without question, it's Laura's death. Yeah, that was the same for me. I was like, we're going to end up having so many matching choices on this one i mean the woman died while self-orgasming by rubbing her brain how are you not gonna remember that yeah it is it is just go watch this movie people i just you have to see that scene for yourself it's something to behold yeah it is bananas and then i really just do i like that transition of her i guess what we would call going towards the light, you know, and mm-hmm. we see her kind of shift and she has those um, statements that she says to her dad and stuff like that about being a cheerleader and everything. It's like, it's haunting because you, you can tell that that's it. That's the light is going out in her, you know, and she does an amazing job at selling it. And it's just, the scene is crazy. It's bananas, but it's so good. Yeah. It's like you want to be incredibly uncomfortable because yeah. of what's happening, but you're so amazed by how well she's performing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. It's this whole weird emotional thing that, like we said, when it's over, you're just like, well, there you go. Yeah. I, my body doesn't know what to do with all that. <laughs> it's weird, <laughs> but also awesome. Maybe, please help me. <laughs> I think I'm broken. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you're going to remember it once you see it. Yep. Yep. It's not one you can forget. No, no. (laughs) It's really good. So then I guess that leaves us with our last choice, which is Dead Zone or Vault. For me, there was never a question. It was always going to go in the vault. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. This is one that I'm so glad we stumbled upon whenever we did. Because, you know, I don't know that we would have put it on this list had we not heard about it beforehand. Because I really, I mean... I had no idea it existed. We had just, like you said, found it on a whim and then watched it and we enjoyed it. And then as soon as this theme came into play, we were like, oh yeah. And we were even kind of like, we couldn't remember the title, but we were like, remember that one movie? It was like on Christmas Eve. And then once we remembered it, we were like, that has to go on the list. Yeah. 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 And yeah, watching it a second, third time, it it was, it solidified it for me that it just, 
It's so good. And I need more people to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the things that I take into consideration when I finish a movie of deciding whether or not we're going to stick this in the vault is would I recommend it to people? Yeah. I, all day. Yeah. All day I would recommend that people go watch this. You're just going to have a good time. Mm. It's just it's a fun, weird, wacky little movie. Yeah. And, you know. Everybody knows the holidays are tough, and we all just got through with Thanksgiving, if you're here in the U.S., and if you just need something to, you know, uh, repair your emotions. I don't know if it'll repair your emotions. It's a pretty crazy movie, but if you just need something to kind of veg out on, this movie's a good option. It'll take your problems and make them go away for a little while, and you can focus on their problems for a little while. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it's only like 80 minutes long. Yeah, it's not too long at all, no. quick watch. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. It's a good one. It's so good. Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode 37 is... In the Can. In the Can. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you your very own Dead Zone Drive-In sticker for free. That's no monies, honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you want to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. And if you want to hang out with us and fellow late night weirdos, check out the show notes for links to our socials and our Facebook group, the Dead Zone Drive-In Discussion Room. Lastly, for next week's screening, we'll be kicking off a month of holiday horror with the 2016 thriller, Better Watch Out. So if you want to check out that trailer, don't worry, we've got you. The link for that is also down in the show notes. And a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob. They've got the moves like Jagger, and it was kind of terrifying. Yeah, my my hips didn't know what to do. Let's not do that again. Yeah, me and Jagger were sad. (laughs) (laughs) And remember, if you're looking for the Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please... Buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. Which just so happens to be a 12-gauge shotgun, complete with animal. Animal. (laughs) Complete with an animal to shoot. (laughs) It fires kittens. (laughs) Mew. 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 (laughs) Fly through the air. Attack your face. Scratch the shit out of you. (laughs) (laughs) Pussy good. <laughs> it's my kitty cat Rajatat. Now get out of here. <laughs> and now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Freeze.
eight, two.